Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, which you will find in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 76 or on the screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Dear God, thank you for being with us here today as we worship you. Help us to hear and listen to your word through our ears and our hearts. Thank you for Sonia's story, showing how faithful you are in reaching out to us, and her thanks for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Sonia, thank you for sharing your story with us of what God has done in your life. And the wonderful thing is we all have a story. We're all encountering God in different ways and at different times. And I am trusting that should you be called upon to share one of those moments where you saw God at work, it could be through suffering, it could be through a moment where your eyes were opened and you decided to follow Jesus or some way in which God was encountering you in your journey, those stories are deeply, deeply encouraging for the congregation. And so I want to encourage you to give some thought to that and be willing on some morning uh, to, to share that story and so that we can rejoice with you and give glory to God. I want to invite you just to pray with me. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for, for the story that Sonia just shared with us. We thank you for the scriptures that we've heard this morning. We thank you that you've been good to us, that you've saved us, that you've led us, that you've sustained us. We thank you that you've forgiven us. Lord, we truly want to thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I am sure 
that you have heard the, the expression. I use it, I know you use it, comfortable in my skin. When someone says they are comfortable in their skin, what they're, what they're expressing is the idea that I feel good about myself, it suggests self-acceptance, it suggests one has a healthy sense of oneself. And if we are comfortable or uncomfortable in our skin, it, it, it tends to color our relationships with other people. When we're not feeling good about ourselves, it affects how we relate to other people. We might find ourselves being hungry for approval. We find ourselves being very judgmental. We find ourselves afraid of being found wrong or afraid of being found out to be a fraud in some way. We, we criticize ourselves on a regular basis. We have this playlist of negativity going on in our minds. We're afraid of ourselves. We're afraid of others. And when we're not comfortable with who we are, how God has made us, it then affects the relationships around us. And so as I've been reading the scriptures, I am not sure which is worse, needing a dermatologist to address some actual, real medical issues with our skin, or having, as I've been describing, this mental or this psychological dis-ease with ourselves. I'm not sure which is more serious. In our scripture reading today, one thing I do know is that these 10 men were undoubtedly struggling physically, emotionally, and psychologically with themselves, with their skin. And I say to you this morning that that is a terrible, terrible burden to bear. And what I'd like to offer to you this morning is to have you think with me about two big themes that emerged from our reading that is really medicine for the church. The first big idea that emerges from the theme, it's the picture of who Jesus is, that Jesus is described as master and savior, that Jesus possesses all power and glory and is worthy of our worship, as we've been expressing already this morning, and that it is through Jesus, as we heard in the testimony, that we truly find ourselves and we can be comfortable with ourselves because Jesus sees us and knows us. And I think the other big theme that emerges from the text for me is the reminder to give thanks, to give thanks. And that giving thanks is a response. It's always a response to God's gift of grace and goodness in our lives. We want to remember to give thanks. And so our reading then starts, as you heard in the reading, it starts on the outskirts of an unknown village, whether it's a Jewish village or a Samaritan village. I want to believe it is a Samaritan village. And we're told that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and for reasons known only to him, he decides to travel through a region that most God-fearing Jews would avoid. If they're trying to get to Jerusalem, they, they, they have a way that they skirt around and avoid the country of the Samaritans, that godless group of people. They try to avoid them, but Jesus didn't. And as soon as he entered the village, 
10 lepers approached him, is what we heard. And among them is a Samaritan. When I think about the Samaritan then, I think the Samaritan is dealing with two levels of, of real cultural tension. Two levels, a double level of cultural tension. The first level of tension is that the Samaritan is a leper. The second level of tension is that he's a Samaritan. What a burden to bear. And normally, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. If you read John's Gospel, chapter 4, that's the first thing the woman says to Jesus at the well. She was surprised that you, a Jew, would speak to me, a Samaritan. That, that dividing wall, that separation, that hostility was real. And of course, the Samaritans didn't hang out with Jews. But these men were united in their misery, despite their common suffering, despite the fact that they were Jews and a Samaritan, they found community in their suffering. Their misery in some amazing way broke down the walls and the barriers and the distinctions that kept them apart, and their suffering drew them together. As you well know, leprosy, and we don't know if it's Hansen's leprosy as we know it today. It must have been some kind of skin disorder that was horrible and infectious. It carried massive social stigma. And we're told that the men then stood at a distance and the plight of a person suspected of leprosy, it was just grave. They're cut off, as you, as you know, from society, from family, from all the rituals that we do as a society. These people are left out and they can only return if and when the priest examines them and declares them clean or whole. So they raise their voices as one choir of sufferers, pleading with a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Not many people called Jesus master. In fact, I think of only one other example. When Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and the boat was about to be swept under by the, the raging storm on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples woke Jesus up and they said, Master. And here these men are calling him Master. And what they're saying is, you are master. You, you reign over the storms. You bring healing to the lame. You open the eyes of the blind. You raise the dead. You rebuke the demons. Master, have mercy upon us. Help us. And we're told that Jesus not only heard their cry, but he saw them. And I don't know about you, but whenever I read the Gospels, I pay attention to that phrase. Jesus saw them. This is not an insignificant detail, my brothers and sisters, because we live in a culture where people aren't seen anymore. People are overlooked. People are invisible. But Jesus saw them. Jesus approved of them. Jesus cares for them. But the funny thing is, he says one sentence to them. That's all he said. Go and show yourself to the priests. You go back and you read Luke 5. 
when Jesus encountered that leper, the scriptures tell us that Jesus had a conversation with him. What do you want from me? Lord, if you could only make me clean. And Jesus touched him and then said, he was healed and then said, go show yourself to the priest. For reasons unknown, one sentence, go show yourself to the priest. Doesn't make any promises, doesn't give them any assurances, just one command. Go show yourself to the priest. And you say, well, why would they need to do that? Jesus, the Bible Jesus read, he was very conversant with the Bible, with the Torah. And essentially, this is what he was referencing. That this shall be the true, this shall be the ritual for the leprous person. At the time of his cleansing, he shall be brought to the priest. Now, what I find remarkable about that is that Jesus affirms all of Scripture. I came, out, came from a home where we read the Bible on a regular basis. I didn't understand a lot of it, still don't understand a lot of it, but one of the things that was affirmed in our home is that this is God's Word. The savory and the unsavory parts, it's God's Word. And Jesus quoted this Scripture, or at least encourage them to adhere to this scripture, go show yourself to the priests. But what makes this so difficult, though, is that they're going to the priest as lepers. And I thought to myself, how, how odd it would be, how upsetting it would be if they went all the way to wherever the nearest priest or priests are located, and they show up, and they're still lepers, and the priest would say, what are you doing here? It says to me that they really believe that Jesus could save them. It says to me that they really believe that Jesus was master. And even though they didn't see the immediate result, they were walking in obedience and in faith to what Jesus told them to do. They walked on. They didn't procrastinate. And they headed out to see these priests. And we're told that along the way, Along the way, they were healed. And I try to picture what that might have looked like as they're walking along, because they don't have mirrors. They're walking along, shuffling along, trying to find the nearest priest. And maybe they noticed there was sensation coming back into their fingers. Maybe they noticed that their sense of touch, or maybe the tingling in their nerves, or maybe they saw on each other's skin the lesions starting to disappear. But off the ten of them, one of them stopped and did four very demonstrative things. We're told that he turned back, and as he was turning back, he was praising God with a loud voice, and then when he finally got back to Jesus, we're told that he fell on his face. That's literally what the Greek word means. Didn't just prostrate himself, but literally face down at the feet of Jesus. And then the fourth thing he did, prostrate at his feet, he thanked him. And Jesus asks three very important questions. Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they?
and you can hear the disappointment in his voice. And Luke writes that Jesus said, was not one of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. And that's how they saw Samaritans. They're from another planet. They're not of us. Jesus is really drawing out what's wrong with the other nine. And a lot of the commentaries and books that I've read suggest that maybe the other nine were Jews and they were just so intent. I, I, don't, I don't think they were saying they're not thankful, but they were so intent to get to the priest. But given the remarkable nature of their healing, you would have thought that they would have all turned back, say, thank you, Jesus, and then run to the priest. But they kept going. Only one came back to say thanks. And Jesus says to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. And so I want to close this morning with two big truths, ocean-like truths, in which I want you to sink yourself and to luxuriate. Two big truths for the church. And one is the importance of giving thanks. I read again this week, and I've known this for a while, but I checked back in some of my notes and my files, and I came upon a quote that I kept years ago, that the average human being takes approximately 23,000 breaths every day. So by the end of today, we would have taken approximately 23,000 breaths. And the question then is, when was the last time, when was the last time you thanked God for one of those breaths? Because when you think about that, the process of inhaling oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide is a very complicated respiratory task. It requires physiological precision. And when you cannot breathe properly, your whole body screams at you and tells you that. Now, we tend to thank God for the big things, the things that take our breath away. Standing by the Grand Canyon, standing by Lake Michigan, seeing the grand sequoias, those massive things that take our breath away and we're just amazed. And yet, in the everyday ordinariness of our lives, we're doing a pretty remarkable thing right now. We're breathing in and we're breathing out. We can thank God for that too. You see, when it's done correctly, giving thanks is the most powerful, worshipful expression that a human being can give to God. St. Arrhenius said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Think about that. And what makes us fully alive? It's this God consciousness that we're surrounded by grandeur. We're surrounded by beauty. We're surrounded by the glory of God in the ordinary and in the extraordinary. And we are fully alive in those moments when we see them and we look up and we give thanks to God. I love the way King David said it as he encouraged all of Israel to give, to build the temple, and 
letting them know that his son Solomon was going to be the one to build the temple. And David said these wonderful, wonderful words. He says, Oh, Lord, yours, O oh Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all. And I underlined in my notes the word all. For all that is in the heavens and all that is on the earth, it is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted above all. And the rest of it continues. He says, riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make, some translations say, to make rich or to make great, and to give strength to all. And now our God, and that's what we've been doing this morning, now our God, we give thanks to you, and we praise your glorious name. Those words are breathtaking, aren't they? They're humbling too, though. They're God-glorifying. The glory of God is a human being fully alive to these ideas. But here's the second big idea that I would have you think about, and it's the importance of placing our faith in Jesus as Master and Savior. I think... You may not agree with me that the gospel is beautifully presented through this story. Because just as leprosy is a disease that disfigures and isolates us as victims from others, we have a disease. I don't care who you are. I don't care how privileged, how blessed, how educated, how rich you are, how known you are. We have a disease. It's a disease called sin that separates us from God and others. And if you wonder what's wrong with so much of what's going on around us in our world, that disease is in the heart of every human being. And it makes us do crazy things. The lepers knew, though, that unless Jesus healed them, they would live lives cut off and would eventually die as lepers. And in a similar way, we know unless Jesus helps us, we cannot heal ourselves. We cannot remove the disease of sin. Now, I know we live in a, in a culture today where we are able to do so much to help ourselves. And that's true, and it's good. There's something about a lot of those self-help books and those self help uh, themes that are out there are good and they're helpful, but it only goes so far. When it comes to the disease of sin, there is nothing out there that can take away the struggle that you and I have with sin. And just as these lepers cried out to Jesus for mercy, if you would be free from this disease, we must do the same. We must cry out to Jesus. And they took Jesus at his word. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And we must do the same. That old time hymn that we sometimes sing in our church, What can wash away my sin? And the song, the answer in the song says, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole? Nothing 
but the blood of Jesus. And I invite you this morning to look beyond yourself and see Jesus. Put your faith in him. He's master. He's savior. He's God in the flesh. He's worthy of our worship. He's ready to receive you and accept you right where you are. He's asking you now to trust him. Trust him as the only source of healing. And if you do, your faith in Christ will save you. Yes, it will. You place your faith in him, he will save you, and you will be healed. And the, 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 the tense of that verb that's used to describe your faith as made you whole. That word whole is the word that means salvation. And the tense of the verb is written in a perfect tense, which means it, it, it makes you whole now. It makes you whole tomorrow. It makes you whole all the way. When Jesus was on the cross, he used the same tense of that verb. It is finished. The perfect tense. What is finished? The redemptive work. It is finished. And the efficacy of that work now and into all eternity. That's the beauty of when Jesus saves us. He stands ready to minister to anyone who reaches out to him. No one is turned away. When you cry out to God for pity, when you cry out to God for mercy, when you cry out to God for help, God is not some kind of ogre who hoards his blessings for the privileged and for the ones that he personally selects. God is abundant in mercy. You don't need to persuade God. But he invites us to come. Come humbly. Come asking. Won't you come today? In our church, at the end of every worship service, we have folks who are standing at the front of the chancel to pray. And if you would like to come and to receive prayer, I would encourage you to do that. And for those of you online, you can do the same. You can indicate in the chat you would like to receive prayer. You can call us at the church this week and let us know that you would like to come to Jesus. You would like to find yourself whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your life and in my life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.